went to seminary, you know, like, I feel like I'm not gifted to, to preach, you know, even though I've lost the worship country a lot, and then we share our faith, I feel like I'm not, I'm not trained, I'm not equipped enough to come up here and preach from a lot of people, you know, my mom's here, if you were to ask my mom how, how I grew up, I was very antisocial, they talk to a lot of people, they have a lot of friends, um, and for me to be now, to be standing here, without even having any type of, um, um, speech class or anything. Someone who used to stutter when he was a little kid. I couldn't even speak when I was younger. To be up here is just a great honor for God. And um, just just to think about um, when he called me and he wanted to preach, the first thing I was like, you know, I want to pray on it. And I was quick to want to say no. And, and, I, and I kind of think that that's how we are when we share our faith with people. We think that other people are more gifted than us. We think that, well, maybe we should let the missions team do it because they're gifted. They have those gifts. But when I started more thinking about it, I was, I was putting myself over God. And I think we tend to do that without, without even realizing it. And this is, this, this is why this text had um, hit so hard to home for me. I want to read it. But kind of, I, I think Alan kind of reeled me in with that steak that he cooked for me tonight. <laughs> Man, I, I told Alan he cooks his steaks like he does his coffee. He, he, he takes it to another level. <laughs> and I try to tell Alan's wife some jokes because I'm not that funny. So you guys, you guys forgive me if this sermon gets a little boring. <laughs> I guess he thought I was funny though. <laughs> so our main text is from First Peter. But we'll look at it in the context of 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18. So I'll go ahead and read that. I think they have the ESV up here. I was going to read that in the ESV. I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and read from the ESV. It says, Now who is to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with transparency and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will, so that you suffer for doing what is right, and what is doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive instead. Let's pray. Lord, I know, you know I've been dealing with this text for far too long. I've been, I couldn't wait to get it out. But this text is 
it's just the very backbone of who you are to us. While, while this world is falling, and people are, are looking for hope today, more ever today than they have any other time, because just we, we just see just the, the depression that is going on in the world, the fallenness and suffering. And I pray that I can, by your spirit, Lord, that I can teach this, this text clear. And that we can, in our own selves, that we can see the hope in our lives that we have to testify to, because you're our real witnesses. And I pray that we will be better prepared to share our faith, to glorify you, God. In Jesus' name, we pray. All right, so First Peter three fifteen is the main text that we want to deal with. So, um, so it's but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. That do it with gentleness and reverence. So this is where we get the very Greek word apologia. Um, I think some people probably heard that. But apologia is an apology, a reason response, a reason defense. That's where we get the transliteration of the word apologetics. Um, apologetics is simply knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and being able to communicate that in effective and offensive manner. So who is who is apologetics for? Is it for some of the elite? For the Austins and Allens, people who had the training? Is it for Aaron? <laughs> Maybe Benjamin? Who, who is apologetics for? Um, I, I think that's a a question that we have to ask ourselves that because obviously um, if we are commissioned to take this gospel to the world apologetics is for everybody we're all to know we all need to know what we believe and all we believe and being able to communicate that to people effectively and win some man um, the very language of this word is like a court it's like courtroom language um, has to do with a lawyer um, defending in a courtroom case um, they do it in a, an effective and a winsome manner. They don't do it in a dry way. So when we share our faith with people, we don't just say, hey, believe the Bible because this is true. I was raised this way. I, I, I was brought up in the church. It's true because it's true. Some people might feel like religion and politics go hand in hand because it all sounds the same. It all looks the same. But we, we simply we, we don't have a truth. We have the truth. We don't just possess the truth, but we are possessed by the truth. We don't just give a response to somebody, but this, this response shapes us. It shapes us by the way we live our Christian lives, because we have hope. So how can we be prepared to give this hope? And I, I got three objectives that I want to look at. Number one, how can we fuel our defense for the gospel? And being prepared at all times, whether right now in our freedoms that we have, we can share our faith, or when persecution comes. Because if we look at our society right now, it's, they're not just creating walls, we're, we're creating e equality for the wall. But what, what, what we see here, we see them creating laws that go directly against the church, directly against us as believers. We have to see that. We have to be aware. We have to be prepared. So what I want to do is help bolster our faith. 
Should, should we be confident in ourselves? Should we be going out debating people because we have head knowledge? And that's not what I want to do. I don't want to simply convict, convict somebody with a message so they come out to the abortion clinic with us. I want to convict somebody so they come out downtown and pass out tracks. I want people to acknowledge the Lord God as King. And if we acknowledge Him as King, sit it on the throne, and if we love Him, we'll be faithful to obey Him. And that's one thing that I pray every single day. I pray that I can love God. Number two, our hope and defense of Christ and of the gospel should be motivated by an outflow of love and mercy from setting Christ as holy in our hearts. Number three, the application is to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ as our example. Jesus Christ doesn't just tell us what he shows us. He models that for us. So what I want to do, I want to go through a little bit of the background of 1 Peter, maybe for some people who haven't read 1 Peter. Peter. <laughs> so, First Peter, uh, Apostle Peter is, is writing to uh, a church that is undergoing persecution. Um, it was written around 65, 64, 65 AD. Um, it was written to different Roman provinces. Um, the reason why they were undergoing persecution because the Emperor Nero, he had set the city of Rome on fire so he could rebuild the city. So, as a scapegoat, he blamed on the Christians because they were easy to blame on. And so, this is the context of what he's writing, who he's writing to. He's writing to Christians who are undergoing persecution. So there's there's two things before I highlight um, some other key verses that are in this passage. I want to understand some of the indicatives and the imperatives that are in this text. So the indicatives are the things that tell us who we are. And the imperatives are things that we are told to do. And this is very important. This is very important to tell us who we are in Christians because it, as soon as we understand these fundamental truths of who we are and what we must do in the world, we'll be motivated. And both of these are linked together because the things that tell us who we are is only through what Jesus Christ has accomplished to the Father's glory on our behalf through the cross. And that's who we are as Christians, correct? It's who we are through what Christ has accomplished to the Father's glory on our behalf through the cross. So I want to go through some of the, the indicatives that tell us who we are. Um, we got you can you can write these down, you don't have to turn to it. First Peter one, verses three and four. It says, According to his great mercy he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven. 
Verse 18, being ransomed from our feudal wages, not by perishable things such as silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Some of these I'm paraphrasing as well, just so we can get the highlights. Chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then after we understand who we are, through what Peter is telling us in this past few comparators, that we are a royal priesthood, that we have been born again to a living hope. Then he gives us the imperatives, the things we must do after understanding who we are in the world. At the end of chapter 2, he talks about the conduct of the believers um, and our behavior towards the government if we should suffer unjustly. Um, into verse 3, we see um, we see the relationship between uh, a master and a servant. If we're treated unjustly, how we should behave. And then we got husbands and wives within a marriage. And what we see here, our personal holiness shapes our relationships. Don't we see that when we share our faith with people who are, who are unbelievers? Don't we see sometimes we lose friends or family because we know that they're lost. We know that they don't believe in Jesus Christ. And we lose friends because of that. I mean, I, I know many times you guys hear a lot of stories when I share my faith with some people they are my friends and they just stop talking to me. But why is that? I mean, we live in a quote-unquote Christian nation. But, so, but, but what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean when you share your faith with somebody that says, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? So we have to be clear when we define what does it mean to be a Christian. Because as soon as we start defining sin, hell, judgment, we start experiencing sometimes persecution. I think this is perfectly modeled for me when, when me and Ben worked at BMW. You know, my understanding when I first started going to church and I started reading Bible, I thought being a Christian is just saying, okay, you believe in Jesus Christ. But when you look at the world, people just go to church, everybody's a Christian, I just believe in Jesus. But when I've seen this man have tough conversations with people, really make people challenge what they really believe in. Even me, myself. It was uncomfortable, but it, but it, it tests you to really think. You know, it doesn't matter what we believe. What matters is what we believe is true. And the more I seen him engage, and the more I read this book, it wasn't just what he was saying, it was his life lining up with the scriptures. And I don't want people to follow me and to believe me and to think that I'm just a passionate person. I want people to see my life and see whether my life follows the scriptures. Because that's the standard. And I, and I think it's important that we do study different religions and that we know our society and our culture where it's going. I think Alan and Austin do a very good job of 
telling us what's going on in the world. So we won't be lost. Because whether we believe it or not, Satan's not stopping. And he has a worldview in which he's forcing on people every day. That's why scriptures tell us to renew our minds. Because even as a Christian, we can be deceived. So I want to start, we'll go start in our passage, 1 Peter 3.13. Now who is to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So this is a rhetorical question that, that Peter's saying, because obviously the church is going through suffering from both sides, from the Jews and the Romans. So does it mean if, if we do everything right, do everything good, that we're not going to experience any type of suffering? But when suffering comes, that means God has turned his back on us. Because I think a lot of people think that. I think just because you do everything right and something bad happens, you have a black cloud in your head, and that, that means God is, is, is cursing you. In Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who persecute you. Because of righteousness, like for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So even Job himself was tested. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. And Peter referenced this passage from, from Isaiah. I'm going to turn there. From Isaiah 8, verse 13. Says it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. And this is the very meat of scripture that I want to focus on, as we see already in building up who we are in the world through what Christ has accomplished to the Father's glory on our behalf through the cross. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And in this world, we will suffer. Even Jesus said himself in the book of John. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they hate me, they will hate you. See, we don't, we don't, we don't understand what suffering looks like. And I think that's one thing we try to focus on when we have our missions moment. We try to talk about the persecution that's actively going on even today in different parts of the country. People are dying today because they believe in Jesus Christ. What, what does that mean to us? I think sometimes we think it could be persecution just because of the corona and stuff, even though, don't get me wrong, stuff happens. We live in a cursed world, a fallen world. There's a difference between suffering and suffering for righteousness' sake. And this, this text has really been on my heart because when we go out to the abortion clinic, a lot of people don't. They see videos and they hear a lot of stuff that goes on there, but they truly don't understand what really goes on 
down there. Some people from the outside looking in, they might feel like we're out of the shame of people. Because that's what it will look like. The public choice crowd would say, you know, their body, their choice, what are you doing out of shame of these women? And it can look like we're out there trying to win an argument. But I can tell you, as far as me and all these men that go out there, we have a true heart for these women, these people that go out there. Because we were once dead in our sins and trespasses. That's why even in the scripture it says, do it with gentleness and respect. Because we know who we were in the world. That's why we can have compassion on these people. That's why we love these people. We're not better than anybody, but we're better off. And one thing that I can't help but think about, sometimes we think church, we think we just come here and we go back home and nothing in our life changes. Sometimes even coming to church can be dull. We come and we hear the word of God and we go home and nothing, nothing even changes in our life. The only thing I can't help but think that, that Jesus Christ, he didn't come to die to make bad people good. He came to make people who are spiritually dead alive. And I, and I want us not to be motivated. I feel like I, I want to be a soldier of God. I want to run and do something. But this is to, to drive us to be on our knees. To thank God for what he has done for us through Christ. Because apart from that, I'd be in hell like anybody else. Because I know who I was before Christ. And I know who I am today. And I need his grace every single day. And in this book of with Isaiah, the context of Isaiah is telling to uh, the Israelites because the Assyrian army is coming for the, for the Israelites. And he's reminding them to not fear, to honor the Christ, to honor God as holy. And Peter is taking this same reference into our text. He's telling the Christians not to fear. He's telling them to honor Christ the Lord, or the Messiah, as holy. And that's how we should feel whenever we engage with people. And it's hostile. I can't help but think about Matt falling around one of those pro-choice women. <laughs> but, but we don't go out there to, to just debate and to argue because we, we honor the Christ as, as holy, as Lord. I think when we don't do that, it's easy for us to compromise the message of the gospel. It's easy for us to say, well, Jesus loves you. But when people hear that, what do they think? Well, well thank you. I love myself too. I'm going to live however I want to. When people hear, well, Jesus died for your sins, well, amen, that means I keep living however I want to. So we have to be clear. We have to be clear when we share the gospel with people. We have to be clear about what is sin. And this is why, as our pursuit of holiness in the world, we see why persecution comes. It's because we stand for biblical values. While our, our world and our society is saying that's not tolerant, 
And I feel like that's what post post um our post Christian um, modern world thinks as well. And I can just see how it's easy for us to compromise. Even myself, when I first started sharing the Gospels, it was easy for me to be liked. It's easy. Because we want people to come to Christ. But I think it's easy for us to just say, hey, come to church with me. Let somebody else preach the Gospel to me. Because I don't want to destroy that relationship. But I want us to understand and when I, when I read this, I can't help but to think about the sovereignty of God. To see, just when I think about Isaiah 6, when the, when the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. I can't help but to think about that. When everything is going crazy in the world, where is your mind at? Are you honoring Christ as Lord? Or are you fearing man? Because whether or not we don't preach the gospel. We all, we all have a mandate. And also in um, you know, when we hear that, that Jesus is Lord, what, what does that mean to us? You know, we, we think about Kanye West out in cover. And don't get me wrong, just because people say these things don't mean they're not Christian. But at the same time, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is Lord? Because when you look at it in the New Testament, when they confessed Jesus as Lord, they were saying that they were slaves. That Jesus Christ is kurios, he's Lord. He's not just he's not just a simple profession of our mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and can live how we want to. But when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we're acknowledging that we're a slave. With our family, with our money, with our life. If we don't honor Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts and abide in Him, we will love the mission of God rather than God Himself. And it doesn't every religion teach that? Doesn't legalism teach that? That you have to do good, do good works to earn your merit with God. So our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. I can't help but think about it. Jesus Christ said, God said, fear him, don't fear man who can just destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. I couldn't imagine what it would feel like to wake up one day and knowing that everything could be took from you just because you're a Christian. And, and me and my wife, we have these talks all the time to prepare ourselves because whether we believe it or not, it's going to come for us one day. And if you're more outspoken, it's going to be happening today. You can see that at the abortion clinic. You see when we go downtown. Just this past Friday, we were downtown Greenville. Um, we had two people engage us, and they were really mad. Um, they were trying to fight Adam as well. He comes down there with me in the street breach. But they, they were really hostile. 
And he was trying to give him a hug, telling him he loves him. So they were ready to fight him. You know, the more we are outspoken with our faith, the more people will hate us. But, so, so why do we do that? Because we love them. Why do we share our faith with our family members? Even though we might, it might cost us. Because we know that people are going to hell every single day. Whether people believe it or not. We need to have a passion for their souls. Not caring if, if they're offended. But we love them. The moment we compromise the message of the gospel, we're elevating ourselves. It says, and yet do it with gentleness and reverence. And as I explained before, it's not about winning a debate. It's not about just quoting long scriptures. But it's about understanding who we are and our new identity. See, if we are born again, we love God and we love our neighbor. And when we think about our relationship with God in a vertical aspect, the more we love God, the more we want to honor God, the more it should look different in our, in our horizontal relationships with our neighbor. The more we love God, the more we can't help but to love our neighbor. So, so what, is, what does this gentleness mean? Does it mean, see, when people say, you shouldn't judge, thou shalt not judge. Second Timothy 2.25 says, With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, that perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Do you see that God is the one who is in control? Even with our evangelism, we're not trying to win somebody. We take the gospel and we plant it as a seed. We know that God does the work. And that's where our confidence needs to be in, you know, when we share the gospel with people. It's not about us. It's about God. And I was, I never started out sharing my faith the way I am now. I never did. And I wrestled with it a lot of time, but I had a great example. And these men and these women that are here, they show that. And sometimes we do have a busy life. Sometimes we do have our kids. But is it, isn't it the best thing if we take our kids with us? I can't but think about when Sarah and Alan, they all had their kids out there at the abortion clinic with them. And Sarah was jumping into action. Like a fish in the water. <laughs> but, but isn't that a great example that we show our kids? What does it mean to be a disciple? You know, I can tell Gianni all day long that people are going to hate us because we talk about sin. We talk about hell. But you know, one of the great things I showed her when we, when we went out to the abortion clinic one day and the pro-choice people were there with their, their bullhorn screaming, they were even scream, screaming in their ear. Like, any parent would want, would want to protect their kids. But that was a great teaching moment 
Christianity. I told her, look, this is the very same thing I was telling you in the scriptures. Look at this. And I told her, what, what do we say to them? Tell them that you love them. Tell them there's hope for them. Because we were once just like them. Sometimes we can get caught up in the mission. And we can think, we know that it's a spiritual battle. We can get caught up and in, to feel hurt. But sometimes our eyes have to be on Christ because if not, we're going to think the mission is about us. We're going to try to get even. The gospel is not just for lost people, but it's for us as well. We need, we need the gospel just as much as anybody else. I have to be reminded of how lost I was before Jesus Christ found me. I have to remember that. Because if I don't, I know I can start going down all the rabbit trails. And one thing I can't help but to remember is when, when Alan first, I think it was the beginning of the year, what, what's, what's something you want, want to be remembered for? What's something you want to leave behind for your kids to remember you by? For me, I want my family to look at my life and to see that they line up with the scriptures. First Peter 3.16 And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. In verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than what is doing what is wrong. I have a parallel verse I want to go through. It's 1 Peter 2.20-21. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Like I said before, God doesn't just tell us how to suffer, but he's the example. And yet there was no sin in him. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I see two things when I look at this text. I see the very example of hope. That Jesus Christ, his hope was that the Father would raise him. That's why he suffered. Where is our hope at when we go through persecution and suffering? Are we thinking about our family? Where are we not leaving behind for our family? Now, as much as um, when I think about going downtown, I think about something happening to me. I think it's only a natural reaction for me to want to protect my family. Yeah. 
But another thing I see when I look at this text, I see the very example of suffering. <clears throat> for Christ also died for the sins. For our example, not only did he die, but he suffered, as well as the sinless Lamb of God, to take away the sins for every believer. Then he was exalted in glory at the right hand of the Father. He died once for all. All the bloody sacrifices were no longer needed because we have the perfect sacrifice through Jesus. And through his blood, we have received mercy and forgiveness by his blood so we can not only stand forgiven, but justified. And I can't help but to, to, to just, when you go through these passages, to see it, hope reminded hope. You know, sometimes I look crazy when I come up to people and I start talking about Jesus. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's frowned upon now because it's something that's personal. But if we truly believe this book to be true, wouldn't we be out a lot more sharing our faith? Even if people didn't believe it, you can hate me for it. But if this book is true, aren't the implications for our life and for people who don't believe it. A lot serious than what we think. But we live in a, in, a, in a society where truth is relevant. Everybody can have their own truth. Um, I ain't got a timer. <laughs> um, we shoot for eleven thirty. Okay. Well, I got. I, I, I think I heard it somewhere. If if I keep the sermon for thirty minutes, I might be the new one coming up here speaking. So I'll probably try to make it longer. <laughs> but there's, there's a story on it. Um, I heard it a couple of years ago, and I just want to share it. Um, don't hold me accountable because I don't remember some of the names. And but. Um, it was during the time of the Vietnam War, um, and there was these uh, American soldiers that were captured, and they were put in P um, POW camps, um, and they were tortured, um, uh, they were beaten, and uh, some of the forms of, of torture that this general would do to um, the American soldiers, he would starve them, then he would feed them a shell with, with rice and a shell, and he would break the shell up so it would be shards of, of the shell so it would be like glass. So as soon as they would eat it, it would be an immediate death sentence. And some of them, some of them died. And um, during that time, they had um, a rescue plan to come, and they rescued some of the, um, the Americans. But by then, the general had escaped. And it was like 20, 30 years that it went past. And they found them, and they charged them with, with um, war crimes. They found them at a, at a golf course in the middle. And when they captured him, um, his sentence was to be to be hanged. Um, so before they were going to hang him, they asked him, um, did he have any last words to say? And um, he had said, I come to know and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And they asked him, why did he believe that? Um, how did he come to faith? And he says, from the testimony of the Christians that he would torture. And I think that's effective because we don't think about at the time when we're going through we're being tortured or we're going through suffering. 
when we get testimony to glorify God, to give praise, that's, that's what we're created for. We're created to glorify God, not just in heaven, but here on earth. It's given us a, a living hope to share that with the world. Isn't that good news? But it's only good news when we take it to them in the right time. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel. We thank you as reminding us in this text.